Uh, what's going on, everybody? My name is Arjun Gupta. I play Penny on Sci-Fi's and the Magicians. And welcome to the Coffee Clatch Podcast. Get ready for a wild ride. The Coffee Clatch Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And for the final time this season, we bring magic back into our lives for episode 13, No Better to Be Safe Than Sorry. The season finale, written by Sarah Gamble and John McNamara, directed by Chris Fisher. IMDb is giving this an 8.3. Let's start off by saying there's no way we are going to be able to adequately break down this episode Mm -hmm. in one podcast. There are so many varying opinions on what we just saw. Opinions and emotions, I should say. So we're going to try to represent all sides of it. I'm going to give you some of what the critics are saying, some of what you clatchers are saying, and then we'll turn to Jason and my thoughts about the episode before we unpack the plot. I don't think I've ever seen such a dichotomy between positives and negatives, not just with our clatchers, but all across the internets. And I kind of feel like I represent both internally. I feel both at the same time. (laughs) What, Same here. I, what I've been saying all season is that they've handled the character work, the arcs and developments, the emotion beautifully. I think they did the same thing in this episode. As much as I am sad, nervous, disappointed to see Quentin exit our show for reasons I will talk about, the actual scenes where he was taken from us and where he reflected on his life after were done gorgeously, if you can say that. However, my cons have kind of been the same as all season long, and things just seem to have heightened in this season finale. So anything that was good was really good. Anything that was bad was really bad. And that's the rushing to the fulfillment of plot lines that I think needed more space to breathe, that I'm worried perhaps we will never fully get answers to the way we had hoped. We're going to do our best to point out the positives and the negatives. We're going to be completely fair about this. This is someone's creation. This is a world that we love and hold very close to our hearts. So when ourselves and the Clatchers get emotional about this, either negative or positive, I think it reflects fully on how much they love this world. So buckle up, because we're going to try to dissect this episode and season while still remaining under a three-hour podcast. (laughs) Well, let's start out with an article by Decider that was sent to us from our Clatcher, Megan. The reason I loved this article is it felt sincere and honestly written, as though they had gone on there right after the episode when they were feeling a trillion emotions Hmm. and couldn't filter that. And I don't blame them. I don't think that's a bad thing. I loved reading it and feeling my own thoughts reflected in it. It was very raw. He started out with the things that he liked about it. Saying, as a critic, I have to concede the episode is at times a great one. The scenes are gorgeous. Quentin dissipating in slow motion, surrounded by an explosion of black and white sparks. Alice falling to the floor in sincere grief. His friend singing a slow, sad cover of Take On Me in a nod to the show's musical history. But as a fan, I am heartbroken. And not in an all-the-feels type of way. In season one, Quentin was the character he was in Lev Grossman's books. Whiny, self-centered, and frankly insufferable. But Gamble and McNamara, perhaps sensing the incredible talent of Jason Ralph, changed that. They gave him meaningful relationships with every character on the show. But here comes the negatives. (laughs) The press release makes clear the decision to kill the protagonist here was driven by by a desire to subvert expectations, something Gamble has been known to do. I admire the big swing, but it has to be earned. 
If everyone went into season four knowing this would be Quentin's last, then respectfully, what the fuck? In (laughs) retrospect, we got a season where Quentin was barely present, a rushed reunion for him and Alice, a buildup for a Quelliot reunion that had no payoff. I came away from this episode feeling something I've never felt after a Magician's episode. Empty. It feels like the Magicians killed their own show. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That's like really intense. But that's exactly what I mean. The first paragraph, you can see the love that this writer has for this show. Mm -hmm. And that's why the second paragraph is so heavy. Yeah, it's not this critical I'm ragging on the show. It's, I'm heartbroken and I fear there's no future left without Quentin. What do I do as a viewer? And I have to think a lot of people are feeling that same way. This isn't like... I think I could have wrote the episode better or I'm going to nitpick. This was a huge creative risk, something that I don't think I've ever seen a TV show do before. They said, let's kill off our protagonist and not in a way that they're going to come back like we get to see Penny Forty in the underworld or Alice gets rejoined and is just changed in a way that, according to them, is pretty final. This is what we have to deal with in season five, the loss of Quentin. In another article sent to us by our Clatchers, Melly and Sherry Ava. Thank you guys so much. Thank you to everybody, by the way. We have our own little fillery here. Yes, and they have their range of thoughts so perfectly laid out from good to bad that we're going to get to in a minute. So in this article, there was an interview with the show's creators. And I'm just going to pull one long, long quote from this article. And if you want to read more of it, just check out the messages under the poll. Before we began this season... We entered into a creative conversation that included the writers, executive producers, director, and Lev Grossman, as well as Sci-Fi and Jason Ralph. The choice for Jason to leave the show was arrived at mutually, with much respect to the story, fans of the show, and a shared sense of deliberate, essential creative risk. We want the magicians to visit strange and fascinating new places, and we know we can't get there by treading the same paths others have before us. So we did the thing you're not supposed to do. We killed the character who's supposed to be safe. Hmm. They go on to say that they actually called Lev Grossman and they said, we're thinking about killing Jason. And there was a long pause. And he said, that would be interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. And that's when they thought that they were on the right track, that if he was interested to how that played out, it could be a new turn for them to take in the TV show. He wasn't automatically shooting it down, saying, no way, you can't (laughs) kill Quentin. Now, our thoughts on what a magician show without Quentin would look like are going to vary. Would it be good or bad? How would they do that? We're going to get into all of that later. But needless to say, most people are pretty blown away by the manner they actually took Quentin from in this episode, how it looked, how it felt. Regardless of that, most of the articles I read were still a little disappointed with the plot rush on other fronts. So Den of Geek said... Before we get carried away with the poignancy of Quentin's sacrifice, we sadly can't overlook all the fast-forwarding that took place in many of the season-long conflicts. The quick dispatching of the monster's sister, Everett's manipulation of the library to become a god, a season-long arc that ended without a single display of power or clear understanding of how he'd transformed himself, and what are we to make of the monster's appreciation for the quiet wonder of Earth? I would include in there a little bit of Julia's storyline, the reunion of the hedge witches with the library storyline that all felt like it raced to the finish line in this finale in a way that just left me saying, I have so many questions. I don't feel satisfied on a lot of these fronts. 
Now, these are your words, not Den of Geek. That right. last part. Right. Um, although that kind of mirrors what, they're, what they're feeling as they go on throughout the course of the article. So let's move over to our Clatcher's reactions, because these are really great and I think span the continuum of emotions. Tori says, I am in shock right now, but wanted to write quickly before I forget. When Q died with Alice watching, all I could think was, I wonder if she was reminded of when she was in Niffin and saw the pretty lights when she killed that family. Broke my heart. This episode was everything. Best writers and best show on TV. So that was the pinnacle of this was perfection in her opinion mark says have to admit this wasn't my favorite season but somehow the end's cathartic redemption made it all worth it i haven't cried that hard over a show in a long time and won't be able to hear take on me anymore without (laughs) thinking of this sad but beautiful ending so that's some of the there were bumps in the road but it's all worth it by the finale todd on the other hand says i did not like this Ever since the elevator scene foreshadowed an important death, I've had a sinking feeling the show was going to kill off a major character, just to show how daring and brave they are. But killing off the arguably most main character is a step too far. This whole story began with Quentin. Can they still make a magicians without him? Sure, but it's not the same. I'm sure I'll watch next season, but I don't know I'll ever enjoy it as much without Jason Ralph. He was just that important to the success of the show. And Ahmed kind of mirrors that saying, he cried when Quentin was taken from us and loved the finale, but how will the group stay together without Quentin, who was the glue? He was the love for magic, for fillery, yeah, Den- for the crew. Den of Geek said the heart and soul of there the storyline. Absolutely. And finally, Jennifer says, I am forever humbled and uncertain if the magicians will be able to replace Quentin with someone who could pull off that depth of character. He was the genuine heart of the group and always held the argument of why we should continue to care even when most of us were wondering if we should give up on the lot of them, meaning the crew. Quentin's death could not have been more poorly timed. With GOT Season 8 now kicking into high gear, we are basically looking at five more weeks of ugly crying. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) Just start the emotions. This is the (laughs) Kickstarter right here. And I'm going to sum it all up with this bit from Collider. Man, are they wordsmiths over there. They said at heart, The Magicians is a series that embraces broken and bent and slowly mending human beings of the world. The drug addicts, the abuse survivors, the fuck-ups and failures, and the tryhards across every spectrum. People who never know what they're doing, but always find a way to do something extraordinary together anyway. And at the center of it all since the beginning was Quentin, the true believer of the bunch. Naive and self-important as he was self-loathing, a spectacularly flawed hero who radiated with his desire to do right. Even when he was so frustrating, you wanted to shake him by the lapels and force him to count his blessings. But Quentin was the figure that represented the childlike belief in all of us. The wonder, the awe, the belief in magic, the rage against injustice, and the way all of it gets tamped down and muffled out by the daily pains of growing up. When we lose Quentin, we don't just lose a beloved character and gifted actor. We lose the show's figurehead of innocence. It's brutal and beautiful, shocking but sincere, and taps into fundamental truths about the horror of mortality that most of us spend our lives running away from. One of the hardest parts of losing someone you love is realizing the world will just carry on and expect you to carry on too. The inevitability of death is matched by the promise of birth, With season five on the horizon, The Magicians is poised for a new life. Not a reboot exactly, but a chance to grieve and grow and redefine itself once again. Christine, I think you got mixed up 
This isn't our Game of Thrones podcast. <laughs> Doesn't this sound like he's talking about Game of Thrones too? Yeah, and isn't that just the perfect summation? It is actually. And whoever wrote this should get an award. I'm sorry I don't have the author's name, but that's everything that I could say in a better way than I could ever say it. So for our clatchers, Christina pull- picked out a few just to give a bird's eye view of the dichotomy there. But you know what's crazy? From Tori, who loved the episode so much, to Todd, who's broken... They're all correct. I understand and agree with all of them. And they all share one thing in common, that they love this show. Like you said at the beginning, it's how does this leave you feeling about this major and controversial decision they made? And they have to know that they're going to have people landing on both sides of that fence when you take such a risk. They killed Ned Stark, for God's sakes. Well, exactly. (laughs) Remember the outrage and blowing up on Twitter and everything else when that happened. The thing is, you knew very early on, and we've talked about this, that Game of Thrones was going to be that type of show. Yeah. And ever since then, we've learned to accept that. Nobody's safe. Anybody could be taken. The Magicians hasn't done a lot of finality where that's concerned. And they said this is a big part of their decision was they knew they couldn't keep taking characters but bringing them back in some fashion. There had to be real stakes that somebody could be taken forever and what's bigger and realer than taking Quentin. So we know what the internet is feeling. We know what our clatchers have been feeling. Christina, how have you been feeling about this episode? I think I've mostly kind of hit it all already that I love some of the character things. I love the artistic elements of the depictions. I am super nervous for a magician's without Quentin. I do agree with those articles that he's the heart of the show. And while they have been stretching our boundaries of what that means this season, that other characters can come to the forefront and shine. It doesn't just have to be Quentin at the center the way that it kind of was in the books. That's very different from having no Quentin at all. I agree with the feeling creatively, the loss of him can have just as big of an impact. And his presence can still very much be felt even after he's gone next season and continue to affect our characters. Yeah, that could be a fun writing opportunity for them if they do it correctly, for sure. But I am sad at those things that I still wanted, even though they wrapped up the thesis of it, some of the things from the books, some of the places we thought Quentin's story might go in the future that it turns out it won't. I am wishing now, knowing that we lose him, that there had been some more exploration throughout this season because Quentin's story was a bit buried by everything else. I don't feel that I got enough closure on it. Again, is that real life? Yes, I totally understand what they were trying to do here. But on top of the feeling like I didn't get closure on a lot of other plot lines and questions, that's just the last straw for me in kind of how much can I emotionally take? You've pushed me past the breaking point. So I'm feeling very conflicted. Is it the extreme of I'm not going to watch next season? No, certainly not. This is still one of the best shows on TV. I still love The Magicians. I'm interested to see where this goes, but I guess I'm hoping it's handled a little different in season five than it was in season four. You know, the conspiracy mind inside of me, which isn't big. I'm not really a big conspiracy buff, but I keep thinking, was it really this decision or did Jason want to leave? Was it planned this far in advance? Yeah. Yeah. But who knows? Uh, I have no idea. I just hope that I see Jason on other other shows pretty soon. I think he was one of the stronger actors there. Mm. And to mirror what you've been saying, uh, his character meant so much. Even if he wasn't in the episode 
too much. The scenes he had seemed to mean a lot. My favorite episode ever. I've said it a hundred times. A Life in the Day. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Elliot and Quentin, you know? So uh, I feel like there was a lot of opportunity lost there. Okay, so what am I really thinking in regards to this episode? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm very conflicted. On one hand, I absolutely loved this episode. Great way to end the season. If the second half of the episode was the whole episode. (laughs) Okay, so exactly the same as me. Oh, yeah. Everything I'm feeling is the same as you. Yeah. On the other hand, you cheated me. You Mm. cheated our Clatchers. In some regards, made this whole season meaningless. And I know that sounds harsh, but let me explain. Christina and myself, we really valued who the monster Elliot is. Yeah, that's the biggest injustice. We thought that this was a really interesting character. The way Elliot is playing him, there's got to be so much value in this monster. He's not just a big bad that means nothing. We always talk about, I think in bonuses a lot, especially with movies. I hate when a movie just has a big bad to have a big bad. If the big bad has a character, a background that has meaning, that brings inner conflict in your heart, as in, I hate this guy, but God, what he went through... Jamie I can Lannister. almost kind of Jamie kind Lannister of see where they're coming from exactly. We thought that this monster was a perfect catalyst for that kind of storyline. Then Everett and the library story arc. It ended before it really began. It started to create some momentum, some meaning behind there, some meaning behind the library, and it just faltered. It just here he is. He's finally showing his colors and dead. Yeah. So somebody else that could have had a lot of gray, they were knocking right on the door for both of those things. Yeah. Here's where you're going to feel the empathy. Here's where you're going to get the depth of character to them. And you're going to struggle the way we have been with Zelda. But I see the other side of it. And then they just slam the door in our face. Let's go back to the twins, the sister, the culmination of creating the sister. Beginning of the season, we're trying to decide, we're trying to figure out, is that um, missing pieces of the monster Elliot? Oh no, it's the sister. The sister's even stronger, more devious. Is the monster Elliot going to realize this because he's been here with our crew and realizing that there's parts of the human species that he really does like? Is he going to grow as a character? Maybe, or even help the crew or even help to the take crew. her down. That's all moot because the first 40 seconds of this episode, she's killed. And in fact, they're both dispatched the same way. Distract them, sneak up on them, very easily hit them with the ice axe. Worry that it's going to kill the two characters who were axed, but no, it's okay. They're saved. I almost feel logically it would have made more sense for one of them to die, Mm. Elliot or Julia, because that was a really risky proposition. And it looks like Elliot is going to be taken from us because we need all this magic to run the cooperative spell, we have to try to heal him the old-fashioned way. From a narrative standpoint, that adds up. And if you put more energy into building that storyline and feeling for the monster, he risks it all, but it kills Elliot's body the way we were worried it would all season. I hate that. It's emotionally wrenching. Margot never gets to save him. She never gets to say goodbye. She's pissed at Penny for choosing to yeah. save Julia that instead. Would be Everything they sprinkled in there, build it and work with it. And I love that ending as much as it hurts. But they ran from it. Yeah, to mirror what you're saying, and to go back to my second qualm with Everett, 
Did he really mean that much yet to us to lose one of our main characters because of Everett? No, we just started learning about his storyline and why he feels like he's actually the good guy. Why does he feel like he can do it better than the gods that we've met? Who knows? He's dead already. And he's the one that takes out our character? We don't even know how he's planning to use that reservoir of magic to turn himself into a god. Really? What does this mean? That we've also banished him to the scene, but it seems all that energy was released with the water leaking from the mirror at the end of the episode. And now the earth regaining power. Too much power. Too much for a finite time until it runs out. I don't know. It was leaked out the way magic from the pipes leaks out. And eventually that goes away, right? It's okay that we carry some of that over into season five. But I have no idea what his central thesis was other than I think I could do this better. And this is going to transform how we see the library, mm-hmm. what Zelda's character is, how that ripples out to everyone else. Did we even need him in this season? Could that have been an arc carried over into season five that continues to yeah. resolve the library plotline and just focus on your Elliot and Julia monster in this season? I think that would have been really nice. Mm-hmm. Take your time with these storylines. You build beautiful storylines and let us bask in it and enjoy it. Give us the twists and turns. It doesn't have to be 30 different things in one episode. And then my last one, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be too negative here. No, but I think these this are is good important. analysis. Yeah. yeah. And we've touched upon this already. The Elliot monster, the growth of the Elliot monster, it didn't mean anything. And I remember saying this the end of last season too. Our characters, our heroes went through so much growth. And in that last episode of the season, it felt like it just dropped. The floor dropped Mm. and everything they learned was forgotten for that one episode to once again mirror what uh, some of the articles we just spoke about. They continue to push that growth. This episode, when the Elliot monster was sitting there in the forest and he starts talking about the beauty. Yeah. To what end? To nothing. That that was um, gorgeous. And I wish he was actually talking to his sister, not just thinking he was. Having a real interaction, having that play out. And further than his growth, that is a direct link to the old gods. A story we really wanted to learn about that got a bizarre treatment. Thoroughly bizarre. With Josh and Quentin winding up there and talking to their, I don't know, administrative assistant. One of them. Just buddy golfer who hangs around. I mean, you know... He gives us the tip of the iceberg yeah. of how characters we've been seeing in the show, young gods, newly formed gods, monster mistakes of the gods, how do they tie into this much bigger picture of the old gods that are sitting up there and not really giving a shit like we've suspected? And when is that really going to fold back into our storyline? These twins were a great look into that mm-hmm. and could have really answered some questions for us. I mean, why didn't they throw them in the seam? If they've known this seam exists the whole time and they have these mistakes of the gods that they're shoving them into this castle at the end of the world, there was a solution all along that feels like a plot device. We kind of pulled out of nowhere this seam antiverse in between the worlds thing um, that could be really exciting. Just yet again, so many things kind of thrown in there that didn't have a chance to breathe and grow the the way they want to. That sums it up. They had so many beautiful devices that they could have taken this season. The last four or five episodes, they could have examined that. Last podcast, I said the sisters should have been there earlier. We should have seen them Mm. and what's going on longer. That duo would have been amazing. 
the way Hale Appleman and Stella Maeve are portraying yeah. those characters is phenomenal acting going on. The interactions between the two were so limited, and I really wanted more of that. Let it breathe. Make us have parts of us that love the Elliot monster, so that when he does die, it means more to us. We are conflicted. You get Game of Thrones. That's, that's the theme of Game of Thrones. We always talk about it. We're constantly conflicted with these characters. Yeah, let me give you an example of when I think they did it really well. And it also played up the Quentin's going to be taken from us later. And I, I wish they'd done more of this because it shows that's possible and it can have increased meaning at the end. When Quentin finds out about his father passing away and the Elliot monster does not understand this process of grief that he's going through at all. And they're in the room together with him telling him to smash the airplane so he'll feel better. There's a foreshadowing of Quentin's death later. There's a foreshadowing of his minor mendings with his ability to repair the plane. There's an increased sense of humanity with the Elliot monster that kind of wants to understand this concept. What is this thing? What is humanity, really? This was beautiful and... That's the laying the tracks kind of thing that I'm talking about. Now, that does tie in later, but I feel that they laid some tracks with Julia, even, and I know we haven't gotten there yet, but the flip side of that, that she's kind of been inhabited by our sister creature later on. And maybe if it had been sooner, like you said, that would have been better for her as well. I I don't get what they're doing with her story. She's got magic. She doesn't have magic. She's a goddess. She's not a goddess. She's all powerful. Now she's totally human. But wait, it's because there's not enough pain. And actually, she's got met. My head is spinning, man. I think we need to chill out. Spinning like the cards. With the cycle a little bit here for her because I'm just lost. I I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about her anymore. So let me explain the things I really loved, loved, absolutely loved about this episode. I won't give the details now. I'll express them during our plot review, but the ending, the beautiful cinematography, the time and effort they put into Quentin's death, and the value of Penny Forty in this death was so perfect. Penny Forty blew me away. I can't wait to talk about that. The ending sit-down funeral, quote-unquote. I think that's more beautiful than a real funeral, by Mm -hmm. the way. Of Quentin was amazing. Jason's acting, Arjun's acting. Yeah, bananas. That whole thing was really good. It made me think about um, a timeline in place. When Penny 40 told Penny 23, when the moment comes, do what he says. And we sat on that for a while. And we had Arjun on the podcast. How does he not tell us? How does he refrain? It's amazing. This is all for when Q tells Penny 23, take her, do it now. And he knew exactly what to do. No hesitation, grabbed her, and then the beautiful scene from there that point on the progression i was left with an admiration for this show once it ended and strong they definitely did and as far as the show is concerned i think you and i would pass that test and make that flower grow so we're going to jump into our plot some of the things we've already talked about others that we haven't we'll break down more fully we open up with the sister moving in towards alice and quentin exactly where we left off last episode She's about to take them on, thinking they're weak, but Penny travels in behind and hits her with the ice axe, allowing the others to trap her energy in the bottle. It seemingly works, but as the real Julia comes back, she's badly wounded, and Penny wants to take her straight to a doctor. The others insist they need to get to the reservoir first to get more power. Once transported there, though, they see the water is gone. 
Always got to be a fucking twist, Mm -hmm. says Penny23. I love it when they break the fourth wall. Okay, so, you know, I think it would have been interesting to know how Everett took all that water. We saw a quick clip of Everett walking up to the water. He obviously didn't drink at all. So what did he do? How is it gone? Maybe exactly what you said. He's swimming in it. He's bathing in it. He's drinking it. He's sleeping in it. But that would take a long time, right? (laughs) So I'm curious. I wonder when we see him finally again at the end of the episode, we saw he was kind of so full of power. He was kind of blinking in and out. You Mm. saw that? That was pretty cool. Twitchy. Yeah. I just wish we understood why. (laughs) And, and like we were saying, isn't that finite? Isn't it like the beast when he's coming to drain the wellspring of Fillory that he continually needs more? That's a source of magic that as you use it will go. It's not indefinite the way gods have. Was there going to be a way to transform all of that into godlike power? What source does that leave Fillory left with now? Is that what happens that causes us to fast forward 300 years later, Fen and Josh being overthrown. If the wellspring had almost been drained with the beast, we got it flowing a little bit again. A good portion of it was dammed up in the reservoir. Where does it come from? Is there more? How long does it take to fill back up? What does Fillory do in the meantime? This is the first time in history, maybe, where Earth has more power than Fillory. Well, we don't want it to fill back up. That place is not supposed to have water. No, I mean... The, the wellspring itself, the main oh, I see. magic of Fillory. No, that's a good question. In my head, and I may be wrong here, we're not dealing with season two's problems with the wellspring being gone. This was more about all the magic in the world being siphoned into that part. Where do you think he was taking it from? At least in part, it had to be coming from there. Yeah, maybe a little bit. He was storing up water. But the wellspring definitely is still there, and it's well. Do we know Springing. that? Do we know that, though? Because the end of the episode leaves oh, us with a no, dark king and bad changes in Fillory. I, I do think these issues tie in together and it's a concept we have to come back around to later. But coming back to Julia, they return her to break bills where Dean Fogg jumps right into action. Dean uh, Fogg has been more of an action man this season. Absolutely. And I want to interrupt you because I just remembered this. Did it feel like to you these scenes, they even sped up the tape? Because the way they were speaking was really fast. I was like, holy shit. They're like, they put it on fast forward. They're talking fast, moving fast, flying through the checklist so that they can get to that point that they need to. I mean, I love this. I love Dean Fogg doing something. I, I want more. He tells them, bring the bottle to his office. Go in the trap door to a room that has temperatures at absolute zero. That should slow the sister down a bit to keep her in there. What we, other tricks does Dean Fogg have up his sleeve? I mean... Well, he's a master magician. This is magician. awesome. I love it, too. He's finally with the crew. He's helping them out. We see him a couple times this episode. But maybe I'm just hoping here to fill the emptiness of Quentin being gone. Maybe Dean Fogg is more of a part of the storyline. That'd be nice. I mean, I think that... Just don't sing. We, we, ha- <laughs> we, we have to come back around to this because... I mean, really, poor Fogg, Right. He saw timelines ending terribly, one after the next after the next. Presumably in each one of them, we lost one or more magicians. Oh, yeah. And we kept so many of them, but in this one, we wind up losing Quentin. You got to wonder how he feels about that, having a bigger view of seeing all these things occur. Here, back in the medical ward, I don't know what they call that, the wing here, Break Bills, Lipson is trying to help Julia, saying her body keeps trying to close the wound, but the weapon was heavily enchanted, so it keeps opening again. We're stuck in a cycle, essentially. 
Penny thinks he might know someone who can help. He goes to bring the binder, who says he made the right choice to call him. Once again, Matt Frewer is amazing. <laughs> I love these scenes with him. He's, he's actually getting snarky here, which <laughs> I think is funny. He gives us the information that Julia could have remained in this wound cycle for a millennia. It comes back to the problem we discussed last time. Her body requires transformation, but he needs to know which direction to go. Turn her back to full goddess or to full human? Full normal human. And that's something I didn't pick up the first time. When I watched it the second time, now knowing that she was going to become a normal human, he actually states it, which is... Uh, I, I that's the that fine way. print of a contract that you need to tell us yes. more clearly. But also, I mean, either way, they're normal humans, as in they're not gods. He did not say non-magician. And I guess it's not as simple as that. We will talk about that later. Here, Penny thinks this should be Julia's choice. But since she is unable to fully wake up and answer, someone has to decide for her. What would you have decided? I really don't know, because as much as Julia was proclaiming, you would like to go with what's most in line with her wishes here, right? The last time they talked about this, she was telling Penny 23, I want to be human. I want to be happy and be with you. But that would forever feel like a selfish move on my part. So then the majority of why you're doing this is to be with me. The chance at a relationship that may or may not work, that tons of things could go wrong. Isn't this also a part of who you are, this immense power you've been developing? I don't think I could ask somebody to do that for me. Her big fear about becoming a goddess was would she wind up like the rest of them? But there's always going to be fears about what would you do with that amount of power and control and... I think she would have done the right thing with it. If somebody held me to it, I would have made her a goddess, probably. Penny 23 did not. He made her human. We see later Julia telling them she feels fine. In fact, totally normal. She's trying to cast but has no more magic and thinks she's become completely human. Non-magician human, that is. She's mad at Penny for making the choice for her but still wants him to stay with her. She's feeling conflicted. She also tells the others she saw the monster sister's plan to take the issue up with their parents, the old gods. She was just concerned with killing them, not the aftermath of what that would mean or how all humanity might become collateral damage. They found the spell that opened the door to their plane, and the sister left the scroll key in Julia's pocket. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to reiterate what we said at the top of this podcast. I just want to say once, because I, I'm going to want to say it a bunch of times. They could have developed this over a couple of episodes. Mm -hmm. We could really get rid of a lot of what happened in the actual show and have the fights with the monsters be a full episode. Yeah, a bunch of things earlier in the season, even. I keep coming back to this, but I wonder what that whole poppy dragon egg episode was even about, knowing you had this much heavy lifting yeah. to do <clears throat> later on in the season. I I'm, I'm just a little lost about that. And then the whole Quentin thing could have been a whole finale, the whole final season. They could have done what Game of Thrones does. They pretty much cap everything off the penultimate episode, mm -hmm. right? And then you have a whole episode to breathe to develop. And set up. Yeah. For the next season. So that could have been Q dying and then setting up who this dark king is. Mm, yeah. Moving along to the next plot area that was pretty small time-wise in this episode, Pete goes to tell Katie they need to mobilize. 
Six hedge witches in the last 48 hours were pulled into vans and given Reed's mark against their will. The message is clear. The library is rounding them up and no longer concerned with covering up what they're doing. He's looking for Katie to step up as their leader and help with this issue. But Katie says she's feeling weak. All she really wanted to do with her life was be with Penny. She's still vacillating between that decision, but Pete almost orders her to die when less people need her. I like that. That was very well said, and that's what she needed to hear. I actually really like the direction they went with this. When we were discussing the possibilities of Katie letting herself die to see Penny 40, we thought, well, that gives some good storylines of Penny 40 and Katie in the afterlife next season. But if you remember, I thought it wasn't it wouldn't be a good enough reason. We wouldn't like Katie if she just gave up like that. So I'm glad they went this route. And Pete says exactly what I would have said to her. Yeah, I think I was thinking in that event, it was a scenario she couldn't control, that it had happened in the poison room. She didn't have the option. Her death just came to her. Once offered the decision, and it becomes, like you said, a matter of, is it giving up? I don't know that I still even see it that way. It's choosing between these two things that are both really important to her. But yes, there's still something for her to do here, is what Pete's saying. Where does that put her journey in season five? I'm not sure. I'm glad that this isn't a hedge witch revolt yeah. that she's the leader of. I really didn't like that idea. Me neither. Will they continue to cooperate with the library and see a whole different side of things. I mean, that could be very interesting. Well, that might be next season's arc because we know that most likely Alice will be the head of the library coming into next season. And then there's going to be the whole Katie and Alice bumping heads probably. This also mirrors the Quentin storyline in regards to suicide. Now, Christina and myself, we made a decision in this podcast to not make it about suicide. There's a lot of people on the internet who are very divided in just that alone. They feel that the magicians did not play their their cards right, and it was very triggering in the final scenes of Quentin. Then there's people that really embraced it and loved it. But I don't want to go down that route because we can't give enough time to give it enough respect and consideration. Yeah, just to say that I think in broaching this topic... They were never going to have 100% success in the popular opinion. It is going to be triggering for people, no matter how you handle it. Some people are going to think it was done well, and some people are not. Their goal, what they said, was to leave this somewhat ambiguous. This is something that Quentin has been struggling with since we first met him as a character. It is a question in his mind if subconsciously that was there on some level. You know, am I going to be quicker to rush in and sacrifice myself if I know that there's a possibility I might die because that's still a part of me somewhere in my mind. And this is the whole topic he's discussing with Penny Forty later, which we will get into, that I think Penny Forty kind of gave him an answer to. But just that little bit of exploration and honoring that as part of our character's journey, I think the magicians did and they did well. That's my personal opinion on that. Back over to Katie and Zelda. I like how Katie has been pushing her a little bit and pairing these two characters together. She goes to finally get the cure and Zelda tries to explain herself, saying she believed in Everett's goodness for over a century. And if Katie's right about the accusations she's flinging, all of the deaths are on Zelda's hands. This is exactly 
what we broke down a couple of episodes ago, right? That you can see that she's not a bad person at heart, but she has been so taken in Mm. by this system and this person that is bad and making terrible decisions. And if she were to ever fully acknowledge that, she would have to deal with everything that brings. And yes, the amount of responsibility she bears for that. And she's been struggling knowing that that's what's going to happen. But she is able to start doing that here. She knows that that's what she needs to continue to grow and hopefully be better. And even Katie softens a little, saying she knows Zelda's not bad. She's not evil. Just too obedient to see any differently. And Zelda thinks, well, that's no longer true. She's changed now and things are going to be different at the library. I believe her. I love her arc this season. Yeah. I think it was challenging and complex and full and really came around to where it needed to be in the end. Was the Everett part of that developed enough? No, but the Zelda storyline and everything we saw from her viewpoint, I think was perfection. We have one more smaller plot line and then we'll jump into the big story of the crew and the plan. Before that, Josh finally returns to human form and he expresses he can't believe how selfless Margo was towards him through that ordeal. She says, anyone who really knows me knows that I'll do anything if I love you. But she also warns him she's not fun or easy when she's in love. They're having a moment, but Penny interrupts (laughs) to deliver the news, and Margot learns they weren't able to save Elliot. Man, she is furious with Penny 23. Summer's acting was beautiful in this scene. You see her eyes. She's about to cry. So much emotion. I really felt for her there. It's that sad, angry combination where you can barely talk she's like you had one job yep one thing i told you to do this has been my primary concern all season is saving elliot and you chose to focus more on saving julia that's her belief that he must have when the time came to it Mm -hmm. focused on julia and that's what's going to cost them elliot and how dare he because julia's bulletproof Elliot's the one who could die in human form here. And of course, we know there's so much more to it, but this is so true, I think, to how you would react. Yeah, not to mention that, not just the emotions that you just stated. In her head, she's thinking, I had two loved ones. Mm. I decided to stay here to save Josh. I believed in you guys to save Elliot, and you haven't. Did I make the right choice? Did I make, exactly. But you also reminded me, because we're saying, why didn't they save Elliot? He wasn't there. So where was the monster Elliot while his sister was down there? We don't know. We have no idea. I mean, come on. (laughs) Are we going to know that if we don't know all this other stuff? But, uh, you know, I I said I think that the Margot Josh stuff hasn't totally been on point all season. But the Margot storyline for herself and as it relates to Elliot, I also see as having been a beautiful character arc and development that came full circle by the end of the season. And this scene was very well balanced with how funny Josh was. The thing is, they throw these things in that they don't need, that I don't see the point of it. I mean, that was perfect if they just left it. Obviously, Penny and Margot start yelling at each other. Mm -hmm. You know, he's saying he tried and she's saying she messed it up. They're interrupted by this strong burst of magic that comes out of Josh. It does halt their arguing, and they're able to deduce he must have touched the reservoir as a fish and got some of that great power. But that winds up meaning nothing. I have to disagree with you there. One, I love the irony 
that he was hungry for fish and he was making fish sticks. <laughs> but uh, to talk further about his powers there, they needed that. For that one fact that in order to use the scroll to get to the world where the old gods are, you needed a lot of magic. And that's where... He gave that magic for that? When Josh unfolds the thing, he used all of his magic to open that door. I had no idea. How yeah. do you know that happened? I watched it a second time. See, this is the problem with speeding it was so through fast. everything. Now that makes total sense. I love that you shared that with me because, yes, that absolutely needed to happen. I thought the power just never played back oh, in. Oh, no, no. That's the and only I was time. like, what the hell? And that's why he kept saying, I lost it after that because he used all of it okay that makes a lot of sense slow it down magician slow it down i lost it it's time let's get into the big stories of the episode back at the cottage the group tries to come up with a plan they consider since everett wants to become a god they could just let him rip the god power out of elliot as that could risk elliot's life none of them are willing to do it it's then that the elliot monster appears looking for his sister Trying to hide the scroll, Josh picks it up, but the monster sees. Thankfully, as you have informed me, this ties in because Josh uses the powers, and they are able to transport. We don't know where yet. Dean Fogg, what's up? Also, <laughs> sorry, that was weird. Um, I might be wrong here, but is this the first time we saw such a big shot of what the physical kid's cottage looks like outside? I don't feel like I've ever seen that shot before. I didn't yeah. even recognize that as... The cottage. Me neither. It, it looks like a house. That's why. I, I pictured more of a cottagey, stereotypical... Yeah, and I think I'm drawing off of descriptions from the book, which were also a lot different for the exterior. But yes, you do get your Dean Fogg moment. He shows up to intervene and is able to transport the disoriented Elliot monster to a forest. They don't tell us, but this looks an awful lot like the flashback scenes where he brought his sister back yeah. to life. I think so, too. I do have a few questions. One, legit, let me say, Dean Fogg, I love you. But two, he gave his last Dewey to save Julia. So where do you have the magic for this? Remember he said, this is my last one. I thought he was using that for the spell for the monster. He gave it to Lipson. So I'm wondering, maybe he still had something stored? I don't know. That had to be a pretty big spell, right? To move him? That's it, Too much happened too fast. I couldn't tell you that. It could have been part of his suit again it's not a big deal i'm just just wondering well we get a weird transport by the way this is when the episode starts to get awesome yeah but it's it's unhinged a little here oh you you hated that oh man you're talking about the timey-wimey flying through the vortex with quentin and josh bill and ted's excellent adventure that's what i think of yeah it was a little goofy. It was it was weird. They land in this room that dumps balloons on them. <laughs> a man congratulates them for making it here, saying task 764 is usually what trips their kind up. And realizing they don't speak binary, he wonders how they completed the rest of the 1,293 tasks. Okay, so we're not on a quest. We were. Yeah, last year. Crushed it. Totally, except for the part that we're trying to fix now. Wait, wait, wait hold on. How do you have the resonant singularity scroll? Kind of by accident. My fish magics went off and... I was not trained for this eventuality. We just want to talk to an old god. He's really not interested. He's getting ready for his tea time. But when they reflect that the monsters can't be killed, the man corrects them that doesn't mean they can't be stopped. 
And if the gods don't have to actually do anything, he sees no harm in giving them five minutes to offer his advice. He suggests they could drop them in the seam, the area between this universe and the antiverse. The seam is not quite sealed. It's leaked and created a pocket world where everything's lifeless. The mirror world. Whatever you toss in will never come back. He gives them cake and leaves. So there's the cake. This is a big deal. Yeah. First of all, it's the only explanation we're getting of the old gods all season. Second of all, the mirror world was a huge part of the books. There was this great storyline we haven't gotten. Not sure. They've remixed it in a lot of ways, so I don't know if we're going to come back to that. In fact, I thought that's where they were going at the end of this episode. And I just thought, oh, they're going to reverse characters. And this is going to be really cool that it's going to be a take on that. Of course, that's not what happens. But take on me. We, we do get this kind of description that there's a universe where everything we know exists. There's this antiverse, but there's this space. Yeah. It reminded Doctor me Who. of Doctor Who. Yeah. Right. What a cool concept. Then I thought Q's going to be stuck in this space. He's going to be in this place in the mirror world, like I said, play off of something that happened in the books. And that's going to be really, really interesting to see. That's how we're tying this in. We're going to learn way more next season. I don't know if we're ever coming back to this or they think that we've kind of traversed enough of the mirror world. I also thought that might be a way to get back to Victoria's character that yeah. we never summed up. I, I don't I don't like this scene. What I don't like about it is partially my fault because I got super excited that we we're going to see this whole different world where the old gods are. This is going to be awesome. Visually amazing. Maybe seeing this world, the final episode of this season, will open that up as a world Preview. we see often. Yes. Yeah. So my expectations were high. So then getting what we got, I was definitely left wanting more. You know, it's like when you go to a movie where everyone's like, this is the best movie. You got to go see it. Then you go see it and it's just okay. Even putting that aside, though, there are times where it feels like the fantasy and the sci-fi elements are handled really well. And then there's times where it's kind of hand waved Mm -hmm. and we're not sure how to handle it. So just make it a regular guy who's getting ready to go golfing, who also happens to be part of this higher level universe. Gods are busy. No time for anything because that's very godlike. It fell way short, in my opinion. You either do this properly or you don't do this part of the story. After being filled in, the group thinks the Mirror Realm is an entire world, so how will they find the seam? But Alice says she knows where it is, a door she discovered as a niffin that felt different to her, something she should not enter. According to Fogg, the monster is out there confused for as long as the spell lasts, but none of them has the energy left to confront him. Until Katie comes up with an idea, she thinks they could draw on the resource of the Hedge Witches and amplify the spell through cooperative magic. They would need a way to get the message out fast that everyone would have to keep casting the entire time so they could get the monsters into the bottle and to the seam. It's kind of a makeshift plan. Even Josh says this is right on the hairy edge of what (laughs) you would call a plan. But it's the best they have. So we get this conversation where alone, Quentin tries to convince Alice to let him go. But Alice says they're done trying to save each other. They work best as a team. Ooh, we've been saying that forever. And this is what the whole ending of the episode winds up being about, right? As does most seasons. They're off on their own the entire season long. But then they have to come back together as a group in order to really solve the problem. And this time, the group widens to as many magicians as they can get in on this cooperative magic spell. 
What did you think of that? You know, as it was unfolding, you like how I ask you what you think and then I just completely, (laughs) (laughs) as it was unfolding, I was like, oh, this is kind of a reach. Cheesy. But then watching it happen, I felt like it's everything we've been saying. The group needs to work together. But at a bigger scale, we have everyone working together and it's kind of poetic. I kind of dug it. It is. And it looked great, like you said, the way that they did it, going from the hedge witches to Zelda in the library to everyone they can round up in Fillory. Realistically, logistically, hmm. people that don't know this group don't have a respect for Katie that they're going to do what she's asking, don't have to listen to the high acting King Fen. There are certain people I think they could get on board with that, but so quickly to get the rest to understand what they're trying to do and keep casting the spell, use all of the ambient magic they have, which most normal people would be like, what am I doing this for? I'm using all the magic that I get for today or this week or however much. I just, it's a stretch. It was another one of those areas that they ran by because they needed it to serve the plot. I feel what you're saying, but um, hedge witches, they have a hierarchy. So you're going to listen to the people above you. So that's understandable. Then you got Fillory. There's a hierarchy there. And that's, that's what why I said. Those, those certain went, people. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to get most magicians around the world doing this on short notice? I, I don't know. It's. I do like the conversation on a smaller level mm. with Alice and Quentin that all of them have to, to give up on this idea of trying to save each other or be the hero or go at this alone. They're better as a team, as a group. And maybe if they would have sat down and thought mm. about a cooperative plan a long time ago, we wouldn't have all these issues. You also get this really emotional moment. We're foreshadowing what's going to happen later. This is really the last goodbye Alice and Quentin are going to get. They're so happy Mm. in this moment. They finally resolve things. They're working together. They kiss. It's incredibly touching. And then from the corner, you see Julia kind of watching on. They didn't know she was there. And she's not going to be able to come help. There's nothing she can do. Mm. So that was really well played, I thought, the way it was filmed. And then you get this other scene that's also really beautiful, just doesn't play in enough. Where in the woods, the Elliot monster is reflecting to himself, talking to his sister, but he's alone. He says, this world's not just the bad things and the ones who wronged us. There's such beauty in everything, even in the quiet, especially the quiet. And these are going to be the last moments of his life, too. As he sits there, our group sneaks up on him. Quentin distracts him. Margot uses her eye to time the attack from behind. She stabs him and Penny traps his essence. They then send the message to Fen to initiate the spell casting in Fillory. Katie starts it with the hedge witches. Soon we see magicians everywhere casting. But Margot, seeing that Elliot is badly wounded, yells at him to stay with her. They rush him to Lipson, but she says they're going to need all the ambient magic just to keep those bottles intact. She'll have to try to save Elliot the old-fashioned way. And I'm really nervous at that point, thinking... (laughs) Elliot's gonna die. It makes so much sense what she's saying, but yeah. We had so many Clatchers coming in with their guesses of who was in the elevator, and they were educated guesses. They had reasons for thinking that way. No one, including us, thought Q. Well, in fairness, Percy's owner sent us a full breakdown of the top 10 major characters, and then even also Hyman and Todd, (laughs) and... What is the likelihood that it could be each person? What would it mean if it was? Top on his list was Zelda. He considered Dean Fogg as we did. Alice. Elliot. He did put Quentin in there. He said he's just rekindled his love of Fillory, so he could go out on a high. 
I can't think of any secrets he would have. We've seen him throughout his fillery years, and Julia knew him before he entered. So I'm not getting the secrets taken to the grave vibe. Like Alice and the other main characters fighting, the monster and his sister aren't good for his health. However, the monster kind of likes him. So out of all the characters, he has the best chance to survive this battle. I would have totally agreed with you yeah, before the episode. Very well said. And I love the work that he put into that. Thank you. Oh, for that. we went through all of these. I was so interested leading yeah. up to the episode, seeing his thoughts and thinking about who it could be, what would happen then. And at this point, you're definitely thinking, Elliot's got to be a possibility. Meanwhile, Quentin, Penny, and Alice enter the mirror world. Alice warns them no traveling and no magic. It goes bad fast here. She finds the door. I mean, finds the door. It's like one turn from where they enter the mirror world. Really hard to find. Yeah, that bothered me at first. But then watching it the second time and really digesting the fact that she knew of this room as a Niffin. So she knew where exactly to go into the mirror world. I think it's okay. It was literally like 20 feet from where they entered, though. Yeah, but I think that's on purpose. Like, they entered that zone because she knew oh, what zone to maybe. enter. maybe. I just, that's another thing They don't thing explain that it well. It could have been so cool. Other times we've seen characters go into the mirror world, especially last time when Alice had to go in there and confront herself. Yeah. Uh, walking through those halls. This felt, again, rushed. You know, we enter this room that's the mirror of the lab, but there's really not a lot going on there. And it turns out the seam just looks like an image inside another mirror. I do like where she pauses in front of the door and you can feel this sense of foreboding mm. that she just knows something bad's going to happen there and Penny is taking charge. They don't have time for this. He goes right in, pulls the sheet off of it. I think he says, follow your instincts. We have to ignore your instincts right oh. now because her gut <laughs> feeling is we shouldn't go there. Oh, I see. Yeah. But he's like, we got to get this job done. Even better. But yeah, I mean, even the like the look of the seam, it's just this jagged black slash in the mirror. It's a seam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've seen things visually done spectacular on this show. I knew I was supposed to be getting this really intense kind of magnetic energy. Like I see what you're saying. It should have felt more volatile. Mm. And they kind of displayed that when Penny was like, be careful. It, but it didn't have that volatile feeling in the moment or that horror feeling like when zelda went in looking for harriet every step into that mirror world she took my anxiety was raised when alice went in after herself yeah and we're getting all that visual imagery and you're like shit something really bad here it's just like well, it's a mirror I i'm not feeling that at this moment yes intensity for sure what i wanted was almost a sense of being drawn to it but knowing that could be your doom at mm. the same time well, you're talking Harry Potter now. <laughs> Maybe. The mirror of... The mirror of Erised. Yeah. Yeah. Again, um, you know, some feelings that if you read the books, you'll remember from that whole storyline. We do see Q is able to toss the first bottle into it and it seems to work. But before he can throw the second, Everett turns up, ordering him to hand over the second bottle and then tossing something at the mirror and breaking it. He says, I'll become a god. Not like the ones you've known. I've studied them so I could do better, be better. You tried. You did. I'm impressed. But that bond won't hold. Give it to me before the monster gets out and everything goes for him. Our shit shaped. Quentin, I think you need to... Your friend Elliot is safe. I'll let you go. Just let me handle this. 
Quentin, you always were smarter than the books gave you credit for. You'll hmm. go down as a hero. The biggest foreshadow line of them all, of course. Because deciding fast, Quentin tells Penny to take Alice and cast a minor mending spell to fix the mirror. She knows from the minute he puts his hand behind his back yeah. before he even says anything to Penny what he's going to do. They're reading his face. I love the dramatization. I've watched it a couple times now. I just kept rewinding. At moments, I thought Q was actually mouthing to them, but he didn't. He just did like a mouth twitch. Mm-hmm. The acting in this moment, from the way Arjun moved to grab her, to the way Olivia reacted, and Jason, I mean, come on. Oh, her depiction, and we watched the inside the scenes where she's lost her voice from having to do that scene screaming, but also talking about how that was the first scene of the day they had to film. It had to be so difficult. She really, really sold that. Actually, they filmed her screaming the day before, and she lost her voice after that. Mm. But that as soon as they came on set, it's not like they filmed oh, yeah. other scenes first. No. <laughs> Just tackle the hard part. All right, part. here's where you have to break down fully. Uh, she did amazing. Jason Ralph's face, I mean, his scenes are really more coming up later, but everything with this slow motion camera they talked about that they were able to utilize that captures like a bazillion frames in a second. <laughs> Because, yeah, that part is really beautiful that we just get to see it frame by frame. He throws in that second bottle and he tries to dive out of the way. You actually see Quentin kind of moving forward first. Just run faster, dude. <laughs> As if he really thought up until that moment he, he might could make get it. get away, yeah. Yeah, which is, is horrible, right? We knew that learning his skill, finally, would be something important. And we had Clatchers writing in. We, you and I discussed, oh, does that mean he can mend the bodies? No, that's not. Minor. Minor, small things. What, what could it mean? But then the previously on, when they harp on his skill, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh shit, it is coming into play. How is this going to happen? And it was perfect. It was. It's a mirror. It's a minor. Very well done. Repair of a small object. But so critical to the end game. And this looks gorgeous where the energy just starts sparking out, flying out of the mirror, working out like a web, and we see it engulfing Everett. And that's Everett's magic leaving, right? N I don't think so, because at that point, he had only thrown in the second monster bottle, repaired the mirror. Oh, you're right. That's the energy of the I doing magic in the I mirror world. Exactly, okay. it, which okay. she told them not to do. And who knows, maybe something from the monsters that were tossed in there. I no, because they're trapped in the They're bottle. still doing the spell, right? Yeah. Everyone casting the cooperative spell. So it takes in Everett, and we go back and forth between seeing Penny pulling a screaming Alice out of the door to it overtaking Quentin, just reaching him and pulling him in as well. So beautiful. And they're playing this great song, too, while that's going on, Cruel World by Lana Del Rey. It really adds to the tension the emotions of the Clatchers. <laughs> <laughs> the time and energy they put into this scene. Now, I know on a tiny scale, when we do little things, little bits, where we put so many more hours into that 30 seconds of the podcast, this was well planned out, money was put into it, and for sure, they spent more time on this scene. And it ends on a shot of all the magicians feeling that it's worked and they stop casting. 
Penny and Alice are able to jump back through the mirror entrance just in time. We see the mirror itself leaking water. So that, to me, was then the indication of Everett's power having left whatever he drew from the reservoir because the water's coming out and whatever magic is released back into Earth that we see later, that's, I think, where it was coming from. And now we go to our final scenes that start off with Penny Forty approaching the elevator door. That scene we got shown to us much earlier we've been wondering at. Who is he greeting? Well, it's Quentin. In The Secrets Taken to the Grave office, Q realizes this is the part where he can't lie, when his whole life is revealed. Penny says it will only mean something if he also reveals it to himself. So Quentin shares. Um, most of my life I've been out in, in and out of hospitals and, you know, just suicidal thoughts and notes and, a lot of notes and attempts and <laughs> meds and therapy and then I found break bills. And all that went away. I thought, but but. Did I do something brave to save my friends? Or did I finally find a way to kill myself? Okay. I can say we're gonna need the deluxe package, which it's okay. No surprise. Let's go. He takes them to the memorial that the crew is holding for Quentin by the fire. How much do you love this version of Penny Forty? Their interaction was so brilliant. I love the confidence that he has, the the knowledge of knowing things. And he does state this later on. He no longer has the characteristics that he used to protect himself. The defense mechanisms. The walls aren't up anymore. I love it. Well, and I love that it is a bit like a therapy session. Yeah, you have to tell the truth. You have to let it all out. And if you're not honest with yourself, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to work. This is going to be horribly painful. Christina, as a therapist, if you had the ability to bring your clients to those moments and actually sit there with oh, them. It would be so much better. <laughs> so much easier. Well, not easy. That's the wrong word. No, better for be... closure. Yeah. And, and he knows that. Like Quentin is never going to have the answers he needs or the ability to move on until he sees this. And personally, these couple of scenes are really what saved the whole episode for me because they were so well done. First, those interactions there. Then they get to the fireside and Quentin's about to charge forward, but Penny kind of holds him back. It's like, no, you're, you're here to watch, observe yeah. this. You can't talk to them. We're about to put a brain worm into you. I have not been able to stop saying it in my head. Me this too. Song. <laughs> well, and I've always loved this song. You know, some of the ones that they match up. I think are great. Some I'm not so crazy about, but this felt really nice and natural, like what needed to happen. And you're thinking, would they all just break out in a song? But there's an explanation for that too. They don't. You know, Alice starts this off by tossing into the fire the mug that Mm. you repaired. They all have something. It's beautiful. That reminds them of Quentin. It's memorializing him, each taking a turn to throw that in. Yeah, that mug weighed heavy on me. And I was like, oh my God. But then the peach from Elliot. Oh, oh. You just stop. You're getting ahead of yourself. I'm sorry. Here. Hold on. So what I was going to say is 
because she can't find the words and she's saying what words could really ever do this justice, Katie says none will. And that's when she casts a spell to start the music playing and to get them all singing. I like that. So it isn't just breaking out into song for no reason. Felt right. And then they start taking turns, each putting their thing in. Penny 23 puts an egg in. Oh, and then they show clips of them like... (laughs) At first I thought, is this something from his timeline? You know, because he knew Quentin in 23. And that's why we don't get the joke. But then we're seeing the flashback scenes of what that means. And Quentin himself is there chuckling. So I think this must have happened sometime off screen. Oh, no, no. It's... It's actually that episode that you were talking about earlier with the dragon. So it is. Okay, that's what I meant, though. Something that happened between Penny 23 and Quentin 40 in this timeline. Oh, yeah. We didn't see that all play out until now. We didn't see those shots. Exactly. But we did see the egg. We saw moments afterwards, the aftermath, when they had eggs and they were kind of like holding on to them. But this is like a shared... This is vital because Quentin and Penny had this relationship in the books that we don't always get to see in the tv show it started out really highlighting that in season one that they're at each other's throats but it's really funny and you know they're the kind of moments that you would look back on later and just smile this is one of those that them playing this joke where they're like having the egg on them it's on his ear it's got a smiley face on it (laughs) it's it's something they shared together and it's very penny like to leave that for him I'm so glad they chose to show us that because I don't think it would have resonated as much if they didn't. Katie tosses in the Fillory book that Plover himself so arrogantly signed, but these Fillory and Further books that meant so So much much to Quentin. It saved his life. All big pieces of his identity. Margot puts in the crown that he wore when he was one of the rulers in Fillory. It made us start to uh, weep. (laughs) Get emotional. Yeah. Well, for me, what, what really got me is next the dean putting in the break bill's acceptance letter oh right back to the beginning of this show and then of course elliot with the peach i mean everything from how he enters the scene (laughs) limping you know arm over Margot, distraught like maybe arguably more distraught than anyone i know that's a tough race with alice there but You can see on Quentin's face, too, the emotion that this is provoking in him more than anybody else when they're tossing their item in. And Penny Forty on the side tells him to appreciate the sincere level of grief happening here. After all, Q laughed when Penny died. But it's okay. He's not Q. He's not going to do that. And he tells them the story for them is just starting, but it won't be the same story because of you. You didn't just save their lives. You changed their lives as much as they changed yours. I think you have your answer now. You didn't want to leave all that, did you? And so that's the answer to Quentin's biggest question. Did I finally do what I've always wanted and go out in a moment of bravery to save them? Or was there some part of me who was trying to make this happen? And the answer was no. He didn't really want to leave. Again, ambiguous. This is always going to be a part of who Quentin was, the struggling with the depression and sometimes these really dark thoughts. But in the end, that act was to save them. And it is really hard for him to leave them. So beautifully done. So hard that he asks for one last look. He takes in the whole group around the fire, and then he's finally able to leave. Back in the underworld, he asks Penny Forty if they will all be okay up there. And we do kind of a check-in with our big characters, Penny telling us what's happening. We see as Dean Fogg watches his globe light up everywhere. Magic is back. The library is trying to clean themselves up. 
and Zelda turns down the suggestion to take over the lead, saying instead they need to find Alice. Elliot and Margot return to Fillory only to see a very different-looking castle white spire in the distance. When they stop some Fillorians, they tell them the Dark King reigns now. High King Fen and Josh, the Fresh Prince, were overthrown <laughs> 300 years ago. God's curse them both. Ugh. And Julia, who felt at peace for the first time earlier this season, couldn't cast because magic comes from pain. Now standing by the fire alone, she goes to throw in a deck of cards for Q, but they hover in the air. Shocked, she realizes she's able to make them spin. Her magic is back. Yeah, she first thought it was Q and then realized it was her. Very reminiscent of the first time Q did that in yeah, season one. Absolutely. And it does make total sense in the end that being human doesn't make you something different from a magician. You're still a human either way. But you have this ability inside of you or you don't. And a large part of that comes from the pain that's able to fuel your magic. And so as upset and frustrated as Julia has been all season, there's yeah. also an element of her that's been more at peace than she ever was in previous seasons when Absolutely. she was so powerful. Now, having that pain once more over losing Quentin, she realizes the magic's still there. Now that she has the fuel, she's able to cast again. Stella did an amazing job in this scene, didn't she? You felt the pain. And seeing all this, Penny 23 sets us up for what's going to be a storyline next season. He asks her what she's going to do with it. What I liked about that is we saw a little bit of Penny 40 and Penny 23 right there. And I hope that continues to rise. Well, and this is the format you were saying that it would be really great if this was split, kind of how Game of Thrones does it, and the finale just included the death of Quentin and then sort of the setup for next season. So. Yeah allowing these scenes some more time too, because this is all laying the board for next time. What's going to happen on Earth with all this magic back, the new library regime, what the hell is going on in Fillory, and Julia finally rediscovering her identity. And of course, we get our final parting scene, where Quentin thinks this version of Penny is much nicer and easier to talk to. He says exactly what you mentioned before, that all those things we think we need up there, because they protect us, they just fall away here. And finally, you're left with just you. He tells Quentin he will see that and gives him an Underworld Metro card. This is as far as he goes. There's a few things there. Um, it kind of made me feel at peace with death momentarily. Like, oh, I hope I have that to look forward to. All of my insecurities, all of my worries will be gone. Mm -hmm. You can just be the truest essence of you. And that was really the last step what Penny's job is here in the underworld that's so crucial, allowing you to unburden yeah. those final fears, regrets, hesitation. Did I accomplish what I wanted to? How did I die? What's going to happen to my friends and everyone I cared about now that I'm gone? Well, they'll be fine when they get here. <laughs> Every Everything that's kind of left that you wouldn't feel you'd be able to be at peace with that. That's what he's doing there in that office. He's able to kind of help you resolve all of that so that when he leaves Quentin, mm. getting ready to walk through that doorway, he's ready to move on. That makes me think so much about last season when Hades was telling Penny Forty that you'll be so good down here. And he really is. He's amazing. This feels right now. I actually feel like this is where he's meant to be. Well, and he's telling him this is such a bigger deal. Right. And Penny himself told us that earlier in the season when he was talking to Penny 23. 
there's so much bigger stuff at play here that you don't yeah. realize when you're able to see everything in its totality the way I see it. Yeah. These are the moments that matter. This is what my life is about now. Further, the Metro card. And this is what I mean when I say they take the time to make things mean more. Well, the Metro card right there, that's a perfect example. We learned about the Metro card last season. We know how important it is. We know what it does. It takes you on. When Penny first got here and was looking for a way to escape and he was seeing the only people that were able to get on that damn train were people that had the card. But the only way you get to that point is to pass through this whole system, this process that Quentin has just gone through. This is why he's leaving him here. They hug and Quentin walks through the doorway, disappearing. I may be wrong here, but I'm trying to think through this. Remember when last season Penny saw these people coming out of that room crying? Mm-hmm. And they had a Metro card? That doorway, is that to that room? Yeah, that's what I was saying when we first learned that that's what Penny was doing here. He yeah. saw the plaque on the door that said secrets taken to the grave. So that doorway that's goes out into that there. main stack room and then they're going. Mm -hmm. And that's why they were crying. We thought they were crying because they were like scared. Like there was something evil in there that scared them. But no, it was that they finally learned their own story and they were finally able to make it mean something to them, which is exactly what Penny said. Yeah, we knew that they were addressing these secrets mm -hmm. taken to the grave. But yeah, is that a scary thing? Is that something that nobody else is supposed to know about? What are they talking about in there? And that's Penny there now. That's amazing. Wow. So this obviously leaves us with a ton of questions left over. We're going to break those down in just a minute. But first, we have to go to our official ratings for this episode. For the last time in season four, we're going to score this on a scale of one to ten rations. Just like magic rations, less is worse, more is better. So Jason, what do you give this episode? Well, for the reasons we've explained ad nauseum at this point, probably. I loved so much of this episode, and I hated so much of this episode. <laughs> So I have to be realistic in my mind. If I'm grading it against other Magician's episodes, I have to give it eight rations, which is still pretty good, considering. Yes, I agree. I've talked a lot about my conflicted feelings, my disappointments, my fears for the future, but also some of the things that were really just spectacular. Given all that, I'm going to give the finale seven rations. I mean, certainly looking back, we are down from the season three finale which you gave an 8.4 and I gave an 8. But last season was one of our most favorite seasons and the finale was one of the best episodes. Well, the finale we had issues with. It was the best season ever. But the finale, we were left wanting a little more as well. Well, as always. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like a, a, a hallmark of this show. There's really good. There's things we don't love. But where does that put us for the season, you may ask? What we normally do here at CKC is tally up all of the ratings get an average to see what our thoughts would be on the season. IMDb averages out at an 8.5 for season four. I would come out to an 8.4 and you an 8.7. And how fitting is that? I'm always usually just below. You're usually always just above what the IMDb score is. For all of our issues, the bumps in the road that we've had and everything we've talked about, that is still really high. And in fact, only just slightly below last season, I came out at an 8.8 .8 and you at a 9. So I think that fits perfectly. This often helps to put our overall feelings more yeah. into perspective. When we first come out of something, we're very emotional. But where do the numbers land? Still pretty damn good. Before we go to the best part, the digital water cooler with our clatchers, we just wanted to, for the last time, remind you of our Patreon. 
In fact, just today, we released this month's bonus, and we talk about April Fool's, how it originated, what are the best April Fool's jokes in history, the fact that you're annoying, the astrological reason why you have your annoying tendencies, and so much more. We had such a great time with that. Plus, there's two more podcasts coming this month for Patreon members. So if you want to be a part of that, if you really love what we do and you want to help Christina and myself out, join us. Just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon, and there's well over three days worth of content for you to digest, depending on your tier. Of course, we are hoping that you follow us on the free cast over to Game of Thrones if you are watching that. This week, we are already going to be going into episode two, two of six. I can't believe it. Game of Thrones is one of our favorite shows to talk about, and we are already having a blast breaking everything down. But as Jennifer says, The End of Magicians was emotional. This show is certainly going to get emotional. So if you're looking for a little more light and fun, Patreon is definitely the way to go. We have these really great bonus episodes where we have a good time. Coffee breaks, we get interactive. We play games with you guys. And for movies, we go to the movie theater. We see something that's new or we do a fun throwback. We have a great time. And I drink a lot during those podcasts, so it's pretty funny. A little bit of uh, technical information I want to give you, because I've had some clatchers say, I am not seeing your Game of Thrones. For the Game of Thrones prepper, we did release it on our Magicians podcast channel, but we're not going to release all the Game of Thrones. In fact, if you were waiting for it and you haven't seen it, we've done two Game of Thrones episodes already. We did an instant coffee episode, and then we did a full review. So this is the way it works. The CKC has many channels on iTunes and all the podcatchers. Yeah, we do one for every major show that we cover. So like you see the Magicians cover channel here, you can get any of the Magicians episodes, sometimes the occasional other thing thrown in there just to let you know it's happening. Mostly that's about Magicians. Game of Thrones has its own specific channel. But in addition to all of those offshoots, we always have the one main Coffee Clatch Crew channel. That doesn't always get as many people following there because I think you're searching for a specific show. You find that and you sign up. But if you're subscribed to the main Coffee Clatch crew, you will get everything we ever release and you don't have to worry about finding it somewhere else. So look for that. Do a search on your podcatcher for Coffee Clatch crew. It's a white background. It says the Coffee Clatch crew TV and movie review. And there's our icon, the, the guy with the microphone. A little that looks drunk like, dude. Yeah. So subscribe to that. Or the Game of Thrones, it doesn't matter. But just a reminder, because we, we don't want to lose you guys. It's going to be a year till we talk to you again. We have other shows if you're not into Game of Thrones. That's another reason the main Coffee Clutch crew channel is great. There's times where we release things that aren't really connected to anything else. For example, last summer we covered Sharp Objects. We did it in one episode, but that's kind of a one-off. Even if you're not into some of the other main shows, you might like some of the things we do in between. And we do have some ideas during our off-season, that is the time between Game of Thrones ends and whenever Mm -hmm. Mr. Robot starts, we're not going to have the frequent weekly coverage, but there will be some fun things coming at you. So make sure you stay tuned for all of that. And keep in mind, we have Mr. Robot, we have Sherlock, Doctor Who. Only the most recent season for Doctor Who, though. And Westworld. So check those out. Please don't forget about us. We love you guys. Well, for the last time this season, let's go to Twitter. At CKC Podcast, we asked our Clatchers, who is your MVM? Most valuable magician. This week, we gave Quentin, Penny40, Penny23, and Alice. Of course, it was hard to come up with any options other than Quentin, but we felt there were some other strong supporting characters in this. Tied for third place with 4% was Alice. 
her knowledge of the mirror world and her abilities as a magician yet again coming in at a crucial time. I like that she sensed the danger to come, was worried about this. Whatever qualms we might have had with the Quentin and Alice relationship throughout the season, not me, of course. It was really nice to see them have closure and to have those final moments knowing what's going to happen to Quentin later. I really enjoyed Alice's arc all season. And I'm intrigued what she's going to do with her new responsibilities. If she takes it, of course. If she takes it, big question. And as you said, we have a tie. The other 4% is Penny23. We put Penny23 in there because, well, he's the one who saved Alice's life. He listened to Quentin. He had to make the big decision about Julia, which certainly wasn't easy, and he took some heat for that. He's been very low-key, critical in traveling members of our group all season long, and yet again here to take down the twins, that was a factor. And as you said, following Penny Forty's advice that they got from when they first met, he's very take charge in this episode. He just walks right into that room despite knowing that there's going to be danger. Similarly, with 11% coming in second place was Penny Forty, and he had quite a big episode this time. From the moment we saw him in that hallway again, walking to the elevator, that scene just carried so much weight because we have been waiting to find out who that was. The way he treats Quentin in the end... It was so comforting, not a worry in the world. Quentin, everything's going to be fine. So much confidence. I just really like that Penny. I'm wondering, and I think some Clatchers when we get to it are asking this too. Was that the end of Penny 40? I really don't think so because we haven't come back around to Hades, even though some of those things were answered for us through Penny's storyline. But I don't think that the Underworld branch of the library is going to be any less important next season. And of course, coming in first place with 81%, the second highest poll winner of the season was Quentin. We did get the poll for episode 10, all that hard glossy armor Margot won by 85%. So she is the kind of season winner for numbers, but Quentin following close behind. Well, I guess you can say for our Clatchers, this is our way of throwing something into the fire. And of course, what I mean by that is our tribute to him. And we spoke about how beautiful all those scenes were. I mean, I'd love to put Quentin slash Jason Ralph on here because his acting was truly incredible. We always say that it is such a hard couple of scenes to portray. He does so well with the facial expressions. You can just see as he's watching each of his friends at the memorial service, the emotions coming across what he's thinking, remembering as we said, I still have my feelings about losing him as a character, but if he has to go out, this was certainly a beautiful exit for him. And for those reasons, he is my MVB. I really want to give it to Penny Forty. I mean, any other episode, if this wasn't the last <clears throat> yeah. Quentin episode, I almost think that his scenes, what he was showing him, were making such an impact the way he's guiding Quentin through mm. this process. But Certainly, if you talk about our guidelines of pushing the narrative and the storyline forward, he didn't just do that for this episode. As Penny tells him, Quentin's going to continue pushing this story even after he's gone through his impact. So I have to give it to him. Uh, You stole the words right from me. I'm going with Quentin as well. But a strong part of me wants to say Penny 40. But I got to do Q. So let's see what our Clatchers had to say about this. Bert says, I've slept on this now, read a lot of the rage-filled tweets as well as the interviews with Jason Ralph. From the beginning, Quentin's story has been about how he's not the main character. It isn't all about him. Isn't that life, though? I don't look at his death as suicide. Quentin's story has come full circle. He had something to live for in the end, and that's what guided him to putting others before him. Isn't that what love is? 
It's an action, a verb, a choice. In the end, when it mattered, Quentin became the hero he'd always wanted to be. Oh, very well said. Yeah, I mean, is there a way Quentin can stay in the story without being the main character? I do feel they were moving towards that more this season. But I see creatively wanting to take a risk in this really pushes that agenda. You have no choice but to develop a story without him there now. Emotionally, from a fan perspective, do I like it? No, but I definitely agree with everything that she's saying here. Do you think the fans of this show would be more pissed off, more or less pissed off, if next season, let's say, The Dark King is actually Q? Oh, way more pissed off. Yeah. Like, at least if he's going out, which most people are having difficulty coming to terms with, he has the ending we want him to. Like Bert says, he never got to be the hero from the storybooks, but he got to be a hero. He got to have that moment that he always hoped he would be able to live up to. Yeah. And that gives him some peace, a peace that I would like to see him take with him. Yeah, I think for sure they'll play their cards right with that. We may see him again, as Sarah Gamble said, but it'd be a flashback. Or we know how time works in Fillory. Maybe they have to go back to the Elliot and Jason from A Day in a Life for some reason. And that's when we see him again. That'd be kind of cool, huh? It would be nice. I think it's wishful thinking because yeah. they have gotten a lot of feedback on the Quentin Elliot relationship thing that that was a big disappointment. People didn't get to see that play out the way they wanted to. I do think we got some resolution to their relationship here in this last episode. And I think it would be difficult for them to open that back up. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like a more sort of final thing with Jason Ralph being gone. Melly says, wow, that was an amazing episode. The scene where Quentin died was a real piece of art and the fire pit scene made me cry. On the upside, Josh's excuse of, sorry, I just unfished was the funniest moment of the episode. <laughs> but now I'm curious to know what fake ending Arjun Gupta played. Oh, yes. Thanks what he filmed. Thank you for reminding me, Melly. I wanted to discuss that. I'm wondering if they had someone different in the elevator, just in case, because they knew they were making a big move, just in case they changed their mind last minute mm. and they could put in this other ending. Yeah. Maybe. Or as a decoy, the way Game of Thrones does it, so nobody really knows what's going to happen. I feel like it was such a risky move that they were just giving themselves a way out. Mm. And maybe it was Zelda, because then they could still go along with the storyline with Zelda dead, Alice has to be the one to pick up the reins. Or Katie, like we or talked Katie. about. Yeah. At Brady Pirate says, they shot a scene with Quentin returning to life, but that was never meant to be used. Oh, but Arjun replied, I never said that. <laughs> I guess it came from an interview with Jason Ralph. And I'm assuming that if Jason Ralph is the only one who kind of knew which ending they were going with, that he probably did have more information about these things. I mean, he would kind of have to know in advance as a character. And they did say they talked to him about it from early on before this season started. Oh, that makes sense. It's kind of cool to have Arjun on our timeline. <laughs> it's awesome. Margarita's too upset to vote. Understandable. Yeah, I can see that. Sherry Avis says, I was unprepared to see Quentin on the other side of the door. I was sure it would be Katie, but that would have been too happily ever after. Still, I don't think Quentin's journey is over. Maybe he will be on a different plane and eventually rejoin the rest of the magicians. But Melly replies kind of saying what we said, that would be nice, but the writer said he won't be a series regular anymore. So have him rejoining the crew doesn't really seem to be an option. I do hope we get to see where it goes in season five. Sherry comments what a big departure this is from the books, where Quentin is the main character and everyone is sort of pivoting around him. 
She says, it's a new paradigm for me to get used to. And I agree, you know, I was talking about that. How do we get to some of these parts from the books now that we haven't seen yet? Where does this story go? It really changes the dynamics a lot in a way that I'm not used to as a book reader. I have hope and I am excited for next year. I hope we did show that in our review. I still love this show and I have so much hope and and thinking about the possibilities for next year. I'm very excited. This was a very difficult podcast for us to (laughs) record. You can't tell. There are a bunch of articles talking about interviews from Jason Ralph, the writers, the creators. Millie attached a link for one from The Hollywood Reporter that speaks with Sarah Gamble and John McNamara. And Trish says, enormous thank you to Arjun Gupta for responding to people online who are experiencing very real feelings from this episode. A show like this attracts people who would be especially affected from the story, and his willingness to reach out with kind words is something that is not expected of any actor, yet one who just delivered us a beautiful performance. As someone who works with a group that may be triggered by such an episode, I understand this is a gift, one that he didn't need to do. I hope it's noticed by many. Yeah, he was up all night that night to respond to the fans, to lend a hand. And remember, that's super early for him if he's still in India. Yeah, he replied, it's honestly the least I can do. But we are incredibly grateful for that. I mean, even as podcasters, do we have answers? No, I mean, we're feeling emotional about this too, right? It's kind of tough to wrap your head around it. So Larissa has some differing feelings on this. She says, honestly, I'm kind of horrified for various reasons, but mostly for the way Q's story has ended and how that ending was shown on screen. As a trained therapist, I would appreciate hearing Christina's thoughts on this. Well, it looks like we're going to force you to discuss this, Chris. Yeah, I mean, we did say earlier, I was reluctant to kind of dive into this topic because I don't want to just give it a passing mention. It's extremely important and something that I could never adequately cover, even in one two-hour-long podcast. And I do think that's kind of what's triggering some people is the fact that it was brought up, but it wasn't really gone into, or the question of maybe Larissa says that it seems like they're dramatizing that. I mean, I think I have so many varying thoughts on this. This is an incredibly difficult thing to depict on a TV show. And is it possible to do it without dramatizing it or working it into the storyline in some way? Perhaps leaving the ambiguity there is what's hard for people Quentin asking the question, but I think that if he didn't ask the question, that would be even more egregious. This isn't something that the magicians developed out of nowhere. This is something that was part of Quentin's arc and his struggle throughout the stories in the books and in the TV show. As we know, depression is an ongoing difficulty for people who deal with this. So it is going to be something that he is at sometimes coming out more on top with and able to manage and at sometimes really having difficulty with. I don't think the show was depicting it as a conscious suicide attempt on that level. I think this is part of what he says after everything happened so quick. I don't even know what just happened there. Almost like I reacted in a situation because my friends were in danger. Did I help? Did that work out? And then he starts thinking, well, on a subconscious level, was I looking for that? Was that a piece of that? I think that's a very natural thought process for that to follow. I don't really see that part of it as being romanticized. I see that as being real and difficult. Now, if anything, if you were going to say that something is too neatly kind of tied up, 
perhaps Penny's response to that of, I can give you the answer. I can tell you that this wasn't an attempt, that you did really want to be here and stay with your friends. And that's an answer that probably we don't ever get in real life. But he's in a fictional situation there, Mm. right? I mean, this isn't something that exists in real life where you can be in the underworld and see everyone's stories, where things come, where things go, to have a higher level of knowledge and be able to provide somebody with an answer like that. No, we don't know, do we? Well, we, at least we don't think so. It's not something that we could encounter in real life. So the way they're going to respond to that is going to have to necessarily be a little out of what reality is. But I don't think this all ends with a nice bow on it. The writers were talking about how the ramifications and the effects of what happened here are going to be felt by all of these friends, all of the members of the group into next season. It's something that will keep coming up. So I also don't know if we can judge the entire picture by just what happened here in this episode. Could I give you my uneducated uh, answer to this? Of course. I don't know everything just because I'm a therapist. (laughs) Well, also, this is a difficult one. But what Larissa was saying, the dramatization, most common cognitive distortions, and that people with suicidal ideation believe friends and family will be better off if I'm making a a noble sacrifice. I'll finally be free from pain, experience, relief, etc. So basically... I believe she's saying the show made it sound like they'll all be better because he left. Mm. But I think what they were showing is when Jason says, did I actually finally do it? Did I just kill myself? Mm -hmm. Or did I do it helping? If you saw his face, if it was that he just killed himself, I think it would have been the worst thing. That's not what he wanted in the end. So the show is saying that isn't the way to go out. That would have been the worst way to do it. Or that wasn't his conscious attempt. That's kind of what I meant by what happened in the moment. It's not as though he had the time to think that I should be the one to do this. I should be the one to make the sacrifice because everyone would be better off without me, etc. I think he just moved into action and then thought about it later. Then analytically said, was this a part of my decision making process Mm. there in the moment? And Penny was trying to show him to clarify that for him. Well, I don't think it is because X, Y, Z. And like I say, I think that Quentin not grappling with those questions maybe would have been more irresponsible because it's almost dismissing that as a part of something that he's been through, which you can't really do. Is that a topic you can do full justice in five minutes? Of of course not. You know, that's something that... TV and movies and popular culture has to continue examining and the magicians as the show often says they're trying to open up these conversations, the things that are difficult to talk about, but to let us know it is okay to talk about them. This isn't something that you need to deal with on your own. Other people have gone through these experiences and felt the same way that you did. This is a community Mm -hmm. there to be there for people that have had those experiences so that you can find a place where it's okay to talk about it. So again, I know that you will all have differing thoughts on that, and I hope that you continue the conversation as well. For now, I I hate to switch gears so abruptly, but on a lighter note, Elliot Todd has written, when Quentin and Josh saw the congratulations banner, I thought they were in the good place. Uh, (laughs) That's funny. It's another TV show. Yeah, Melly says, welcome, everything is magic. (laughs) Including the cake, right? The Honorable says... Loved seeing everyone working magic in unison from all walks of life from all over the world. 
And she ran, says, I don't know if I can vote. I know it should be Q. He got rid of the monsters, but I'm having very real feelings about that ending. You know what? I vote for Arjun Gupta waking up early in his time zone to tweet the hurting fans after the show. There we go. Now I'm feeling bad that I didn't give it to Penny Forty. <laughs> Kissa P says, new Clatcher here. This episode was a gut punch, but also such a beautiful conclusion to the mystery of who Penny Forty met in the elevator. I'm deeply moved. Ahmed says Quentin's sacrifice was unforgettable, but there are still so many questions. Why is there so much magic now? What happened to Everett and the twins? Is Quentin officially gone? So we've covered the last one, but yes, we have a couple of questions that we will get to in just a moment for season five that we're left off with. Rebecca says, maybe, just maybe, they will bring Q back with the vial of blood from the witch. Oh, I love do you, not get Jason started <laughs> on this. Dear, he will never stop thinking about it. Well, maybe they'll use that blood to momentarily get his spirit back because they need something from him? or Well, I'm thinking now if that relates to, you know, I just said before, I don't think that they're going to go back to this because they did have such a creative vision of making this final and what that means. But we had talked about the fact that in A Day in the Life, Quentin had a child and it seemed like that was a contained universe and so that couldn't come back to affect us. But that's the only way that I could see maybe you don't actually go back to Jason Ralph, but you do get to see the child he had maybe and how that impacts things. I don't know how that ties in with the vial of blood or if we'll ever see the vial of blood again, but... But I like where your head's at, Rebecca. Oh, and big thank you to Patrick and Rebecca who are talking about this community here at CKC Podcast, around the magicians, how it's such a great place to have these conversations. That was what we were just saying we hoped for. And that doesn't have to end just because the season is ending. Christopher says, my vote for MVM is the entire magical community. Without them, the season ends much differently, I think. And Ms. Fur saying she's ready for some podcast aftercare. So hopefully this helped work through the feelings a little bit. That is a part of what we try to do here. We have so many comments it's amazing. Every time I think you're done scrolling, we cannot get to all of these. But I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone that wrote in. This is the biggest response we've ever gotten. This is amazing. I'm hoping that we helped a little or at least we didn't make it any worse. <laughs> and for our last comment, we have a voicemail. So let's check that out. Hey, guys. It's Brian. So Magicians was last night. Wow. I, I, don't, I just don't know what to say. I mean, that thing that Quentin did. And then Alice, oh my God. And then, oh yeah, the library. Whoa. Um, I'm sorry, you know, I can't do this. I actually haven't watched it yet. But <laughs> oh. I figured if I'm going to do vague tweets and make you read them and emails, I'd give you a vague voicemail to cap off the season just right. <laughs> you know, because everyone's finding such a good sport with all these vague Brian tweets. I figured I'd call in, thank Christina for being such a good sport this season. <laughs> and whoever she's voting for, they have my vote just because I'm a nice guy. Hey, I'll see you guys at Game of Thrones cast and on Patreon. Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs> I'm pretty sure after he actually watches, then he's going to call up leaving a voicemail crying. Uh, yeah, I hope he's watched it by now. <laughs> but um, it's pretty fair to say that you can share the Quentin vote. I don't think he's going to disagree with that later. <laughs> We've read all of your responses. Thank you so much for being there with us the entire year. And a big thank you to Elliot Todd, Ronnie Dearest, and Ariel for leaving reviews on our Magicians podcast. They're such great reviews. Thank you so much. So as we mentioned before, there are many questions coming out of season four. Some of the big ones we've hit on already. One of the things we brought up related to Fillory, who is the Dark King? Do you have any off the top of your head guesses? Not one guess. 
I would have thought that if they left it more ambiguous about what happened to Everett, that could have been a way that we could come back to him and he's still there scheming. But that scene does appear pretty final. It has to. If we find out Everett's alive, then we're thinking, well, Q is, is alive and the too. monsters, yeah, it just could go on and on. But I'm trying to picture another bad guy, so to speak, that we've had. I mean, I don't think it's somebody like Tick, who even in 300 years, I couldn't see rising to that level. Is it somebody else that we've met in the world of Fillory trying to take over? You know, we saw a lot of civil unrest with different areas. Loria having their own issues, breaking off. Is the magic low over there after this situation because of whatever just happened here? And could that spur people to anger? I really don't know. Maybe it's not even someone from Fillory. Maybe it's the McAllisters. Hmm. Setting their sights on Fillory now. Well, and that also brings up the question, are Fen and Josh still alive? And what's happened to them? It's been 300 years, though. If they're in Fillory time, there's no way. But could it be possible that whatever was occurring, they left and Mm. were on Earth. So it hasn't been 300 years for them. That's the only way I can see around that. It's got to be. Yeah, because there was no goodbye for them. And I don't think that we would leave things so up in the air. We just had that whole kind of story about Margot and Josh's relationship that came to a nice point, but certainly not the end. I'm sure that they'll go back to Earth and they'll be there to explain everything that happened. Right. How about what's next for the library? Well, we really don't know. I mean, there's so much room now. If if Alice does end up being the the head of it, I mean, who knows? It can go anywhere. Do you think she would ever agree to that? I know she's going to be in a weird place now that Quentin's gone. And she has had such a conflicted history with them. Mm. If they were actually different though, and tried to create a new image, redo everything there. Do you think that that would appeal to her? I wonder. You know, maybe that's now another purpose for her to have. And do you think that they continue working in a more amicable relationship with the hedge witches? Are they no longer at odds? Well, I had said earlier that uh, with Katie at the lead of the hedge witches and Alice at the library, it'd probably be fun for them to bump heads a few times. Yeah, or have a good relationship themselves if they're on better terms. Yeah. Uh, That they're kind of the heads of those two factions moving forward and they they need to establish a peace. Maybe Katie blames Alice for this. I doubt it. I really think we didn't see the full resolution of that, but we had been coming all season to Alice kind of finally making amends with every one of our characters. By the end of the season, she's working with them to execute this plan. I think that that continues moving forward. That she's accepted back into the fold. What about Harriet? What was the thing she had to take care of? Yeah, we still haven't come back to that. I mean, we see Zelda initially refusing power, but I don't know if that's necessarily going to last. If Harriet comes back and tells her information, let's say, about the McAllisters, and there's Uh. a need to really mobilize, people are turning to Zelda as an inherent leader. So might that not shift when we find out where she's been and what's going on? Are the old gods paying attention? No. Do you think it's just as this guy said in this episode, they don't want to have to do anything? They don't really care about what's going on with you guys? Well, we saw it firsthand last year with Hades. He said, he rolled his eyes. He's like, magic goes away and always comes back. It's very cyclical. Things always go back to balance. 
Yeah, and I could see them feeling that way about the humans and their struggles, but with everything we've been seeing with the gods, the library themselves trying to take power and become gods, younger gods being killed off, I can't imagine that they stay fully out of the picture very much longer. This starts to maybe impinge upon what matters to them. Yeah. I really hope that we're going to get a glimpse every time we think we have the inside track to that. Julia becoming a goddess. Penny in the underworld. Now with the monster twins, we think this is surely going to be the door to seeing the old gods, right? So far, not so much, but I think it is something they have to address eventually. Any other burning questions that you're left with? I know we talked about 50 different plot lines that are still maybe a little open, but big themes. Well, I'm curious how Julia responds to this. She's gone through so much. What does she become now? Does she go back to being a super powerful magician? She's just human, but she's kind of like where Alice was beforehand, that they still have an extraordinary amount of magic. Or is she just kind of average level? I think she's just going to be a talented magician. Because Penny asks her at the end of the episode what she's going to do with it, as though she's back to sort of having a level of skill and magic that will require responsibility. They all do. Let's be honest. I don't think she's going to be quote unquote special anymore. I mean, Persephone's gone. Mm -hmm. I wonder if she's going to acquire a hate for the gods. Man, if she hasn't after everything she's (laughs) been through, I have to frankly doubt it. We don't know a lot about season five. From the pattern that the Magicians has always run, we do believe it will be back around that time in January next year, 2020, you know, towards the end of the month. One kind of cool thing we found out about, Henry Alonso Myers, who has been an executive producer for a long time, directed a couple of our episodes, including this year's episode four. He is going to become a co-showrunner in season five. So along with Sarah Gamble and John McNamara, Myers will now be assisting with showrunning. Oh, wow. I wonder why. I'm not sure, but that's, if true, pretty amazing because I think he's been great for the magicians and I'd like to see what he does in that role. We've mentioned it enough times, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but we hope that those of you who are Game of Thrones fans will be joining us so that the fun doesn't end. We're coming up on our episode two this week. Yes, that's definitely going to be an emotionally wrenching (laughs) experience as well, but also a lot of fun. And we hope that if you're not into Game of Thrones, you at least subscribe to our main channel so that you know what's coming up next. We have some ideas of what podcasts we'll be releasing during the off-season in between Mr. Robot. And we feel that we've bonded with all of you. So we don't want you just to leave now because the magic's gone. (laughs) (laughs) So with that being said, we hope that we've helped digest this episode and this season. And until next year, this round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.